to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and then also to the last book of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and Revelation chapter 22. First I will read from chapter 9, verse 25, title of the message is, Behold, I come quickly. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Revelation 22, verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. Heavenly Father, for a few moments as we take the time to break the bread of life, speak to every heart, encourage us knowing that one day we're going to meet you face to face and you're going to give unto us rewards, prizes, and gifts. And we thank you for all the wonderful things you're going to do for us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If you're familiar with Paul's writings, you know that he talks a lot about the coming of the Lord it's very difficult to read his epistles without coming into contact with that particular fact. If you've read Thessalonians, you know that in both letters, in every chapter, he says something about the coming of the Lord. If you read the writings of John, James, Peter, Jude, they also say something about the coming of the Lord, even of what the last days will be like. I sometimes wonder how different the church in America would be if one out of every 20 or 25 sermons were on the coming of the Lord. Maybe it would affect how we live our lives. If we honestly believe that by the end of this service, the trumpet of God would sound, how different would we pray while I'm ministering? How different would things be if we were having to make that drive home soberly, thinking about the fact that before the car pulls into the driveway, maybe God might call for me. Well, I often tell people that Jesus may not have come back this afternoon. He may not come this evening, but he could come for any one of us tonight. when We lay in that bed. The scripture in Revelation, as Jesus was talking to John, he said, I'm coming quickly. The fact that he tells John he's coming means that it's true. The fact that it's going to be quickly means it will be sudden. A lot of people are not even going to be expecting it. Paul even said it's like a thief in the night when the Lord will return. But one aspect that I think we forget very often is that when the Lord comes and when we meet him and when we're before him, we shall receive rewards. What we've done in this body, how we've lived in this lifetime. Paul tries to give us some insight regarding that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, he speaks of the various contests and games that people involve themselves. He says in verse 24 that the ones who run in a race look for a prize, so run that you may obtain. He's telling you, have an expectation that you're going to receive something for all of the arduous effort that you put in to serve in God. He says in verse 25, be temperate in all things. Every man that strives is temperate. What does that mean? You go back and study the ancient Olympics going back into Greece, you realize that even then they participated in 
certain boxing contests, wrestling events and running events, long distance and short distance. But they also measured their diet so that they ate a certain way in preparing themselves for these various contests. They worked to develop their muscles. Paul said here, every man has to be temperate in all things. That means discipline in how you handle yourself, knowing that you are striving to obtain a particular prize. If you realize that, now you know why the tennis player puts in so many hours on the court when everybody else is laying around and not doing much. You understand why the swimmer is out there for hours doing the same strokes over and over again, looking for ways to shave off a half second on their time. When other people are doing this or doing that, they have disciplined themselves. When everybody else is eating whatever they want, they're having to be moderate and temperate because they are structuring their life and conforming it according to the contest which they've involved themselves. Paul understands this. And he says they do all of that for a corruptible crowd. In ancient times, people wanted one of those olive leaves that were twisted to place on them a wreath that that signaled victory for people. Sometimes they'd sing songs when somebody won some particular contest. But you think of our Savior. He came into this world. He lived without sin. He finished his course. The Bible says he despised the shame that was attached to all of the sufferings connected with his life. But yet, do you realize that with everything he went through, they plaited a crown of thorns, pressed it down on his brow. That thing was unattractive and it was man-made, but he wore it on his brow for you and for me. That blood shed down his, his, it went down his face and down his back that had been lacerated after Pilate had him whipped and beaten. But yet it made it very plain as an example for us that Jesus himself, he never discarded that crown, even though that was not the one he was laboring for. He simply embraced it for you and for me. And Paul said in verse 25, these people go through all of these strength tests. And they go through all of these challenges to obtain a corruptible crown. But we are looking for an incorruptible one. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, you'll notice that Paul is witnessing to these people. And he tells them in verse 19, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Crown of rejoicing. Paul is saying that all of you that I've led to Christ, all of you that I've ministered to, I am hoping to see you in the presence of the Lord because you will be the crown of my hope and happiness. I will smile and rejoice knowing that I am in heaven with people that I've led to Christ. He says that'll be our crown of rejoicing. If you want one, maybe you ought to... Witness to people. Let people know about the Savior. If you want to stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't be discouraged or fearful about sharing your faith. Take advantage when you can. You sit down at a table with people and everybody else just dives in like hogs and starts eating. You take the time to say grace. 
And then don't pray a short little prayer. I mean, just head on over to Africa. Go on down to South America. Go through Thayer County, then come on back. And then when you're done, somebody eventually, if they're not so upset with you, they might ask you, why did you pray like that? Then you can go ahead and talk to them a little bit about your faith. One day we're all going to stand before the Lord. And I want us all to be there together. I don't know what positions, what places we'll all have, but I don't want to be like the man Paul said where the man strove and he preached and he tried to discipline himself. But in the end, having preached, he became a castaway. I don't want to do everything I can to tell you about God. And in the end, you go up and I end up going down. I want my life to be such that when we get to heaven, we all rejoice together and we're happy because we see the fruit of our testimonies, the crown of our rejoicing. Notice then in Second Timothy, the Apostle Paul writing to his son in the faith in chapter four, he says, I'm now ready to be offered my departures at hand. I fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. How many of you love the fact that he's coming back one day? You have a crown of righteousness prepared for you, and it's prepared for you before you have even finished your race. So it's not like you're laboring in vain. God's not unrighteous to forget your work of faith and labor of love. He sees exactly what you're doing. But the pattern is simple in verse 7. You've got to be a fighter. You have to be a finisher. You've got to be a keeper. See, a fighter, a finisher, and a keeper. If you're going to fight, you've got to fight the good fight. The devil's going to do everything he can to discourage you and to push you back. He's going to fight you like he fought Job. He'll come and throw everything at you but the kitchen sink. He wants sickness and disease in your body. He wants depression in your life. He wants everything in your world to fall apart. If he could get you fired from every job in the next three years, that's exactly what he would do. But you've got to be a fighter, the scripture said. And beyond that, you've got to be a finisher. You have to understand that you're on a course. It's been prepared by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already run the course that we're on. That's why it says follow him and in his footsteps. He's our example to imitate. What are you going through that's greater than what Jesus went through? And if you're not going through anything that's greater or harsher than Jesus went through, then you have to roll your shoulders back. And rather than grabbing a flag and waving that white thing and saying, I surrender, you've got to get back on the course and resist the devil knowing he'll flee from you and be a finisher. You've got to start out like you can hold out, as the old folks used to say. The race isn't given to the swift or to the strong, but to the one that endures to the end. So be a finisher and trust and believe that God's going to help you. There have been a lot of people along this pathway that started off for God, but turned their backs on God. They might have got offended. Maybe they ran into somebody that they thought wasn't the best example, a Christian. It could have been something else. Maybe somebody didn't shake their hand or give them a hug or say hello to them when they visited a church. And they just decided, I'm not having anything to do 
with anything related to Christianity because I think they're all hypocrites. Folks, when you get onto this course and you start running in this race, there are a whole lot of runners just like in a marathon. And everybody out there doesn't always stop and say hello to you as you're running along. And sometimes you're tired and sweaty and ready to give up and everybody's not running up to you trying to give you a drink of water. But you've got to keep moving those legs because, you know, at the end of the race, there's a crown of righteousness waiting for you. And if you have that kind of prize ahead of you, why don't we press toward the mark of the high calling? Apostle Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind me, I reach forth. See, what am I forgetting behind me? I'm forgetting what I used to be like before I became a Christian. I'm forgetting those things that formerly offended me and easily wounded me. I'm forgetting those people that slandered me and and scandalized me. I'm forgetting those people that broke my heart. I'm forgetting about those events that really brought nothing but difficulty in my life. I am not backsliding because of somebody else. I'm going to finish my course. That's the scripture. But then he says in verse 7, you've got to be a keeper. A keeper of the faith. Now that's a treasure that you have to preserve. You are kept By the word of his power. But the one thing you have to do that God's not going to do for you, he is not going to believe on your behalf. The scripture says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You have to preserve this faith. So Satan comes with doubts and fears and anxieties and unbeliefs. And he swarms you with all kinds of voices and teachings and tracks and programs that lead you to believe it's impossible for me to believe that God is going to do something miraculous for me. But you've got to keep the faith. What faith? The faith that Jude says was once delivered to the saints. The scripture says, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household shall be saved. Now, you can gather around you a bunch of people who tell you all kinds of stories of how their cousins and nephews and grandparents died and didn't love the Lord. And you can go ahead and believe in all of that and put your trust in all of that. Or you can put your faith in the scripture that makes it very plain that you should pray for your family because God's not willing that any should perish. But that all come to repentance. So when I come into contact with people that say to me, well, you know, God's desire is not for everybody to be saved. I just hit the eject and the delete button on that. And I'm going to preserve my faith that he's a savior. And don't ever change. If you're trusting and asking God to supply your need, there are a thousand people that are telling you, well, I had problems and God didn't help me. But here's what the scripture says. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. He didn't say according to your talents and resources. He said according to his riches and glory. So I'm going to trust that God will will meet my need as I trust him. Even if everybody else and everything else is contrary wise to what it looks like. When I laid in the bed and I wasn't feeling well and had all kinds of difficulties and problems because of blood clots and John was reading scriptures to me out of the Psalms about the Lord being a healer as I was in the hospital for 10 days. I was glad to have somebody reading the word of God to me and encouraging me because you need somebody that's going to bolster your faith rather than diminish your faith. Somebody that will make you believe that God's muscles are stronger and bigger than yours. You got to be a keeper 
the keeper. Because so many other people dispense with their faith and don't want to have anything to do with it when trouble comes. But you've got to retain it, preserve it. Well, there's a crown of righteousness waiting for you and waiting for me. Go to James chapter 1. Notice here, in James chapter 1, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. The crown of life. Say that with me. The crown of life. That's James chapter 1 verse 12. The crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Do you realize God is the best promise keeper this world has ever known? And there's no way on this earth he's going to promise you something that he's not going to deliver. And if he says there's a crown of life for everyone who endures temptation, then I want you to know verse 12 qualifies you and qualifies me because all of us in here are tempted and tried and tested by the devil. But the issue is endurance. This goes right along with Revelation chapter 2 when he's talking about the martyrs. Said you're going to be tried 10 days. But he goes on to tell them if you endure, you'll receive a crown of life. That's what Jesus said. So now we have another crown, and this one makes it very plain that as we're tested and tried, you can see that in the first verses of chapter one, as we're tested and tried, he said, if we persevere, we receive a crown. It just looks to me like God's got all kinds of wonderful things up there for you and me. Beautiful things. I can't imagine how exquisite these crowns are going to be. You ladies, oh my goodness, I'm telling you, having, having had to be married to some of these men on planet Earth, I'm telling you, it's going to take 20 people to carry your crown. But then some of, some of you gentlemen, you watch, you're going to have that little thing of yours on a pinky as you're walking around heaven. But, but God has a crown of life all over this earth are Christians that suffer difficulties. Think about... Think about the people during the reign of ISIS in the Middle East who were crucified in the streets. And children has to watch, had to watch as their parents were crucified in front of applauding Muslims. Think about many, many years ago that the Hindus had surrounded that car in India and the missionary and his children were in the car and the Hindus wouldn't even let the missionaries out of the car. They blocked the doors, poured gasoline on the car, set the car on fire and stood back and watched as they burned to death. Folks, there are a whole lot of people around this world enduring temptations, and trials. And for some people in this world, I'm telling you, the greatest hope and reward that they have is the belief that on that other side of this last breath, there's a crown of life. Little girls in this world that have been sold into prostitution, young men that have become, become orphans at an early age or in and out of the foster care system have never known a happy day in their life. Some little kids have never known a six-month period without having to visit a doctor or spending a month in that hospital with all kinds of things going in and out of them. But on the other side, there is a crown of life. And the scripture says the man or woman who endures these trials will be blessed with the crown of life. This is wonderful. Go to Peter. Let's go to first Peter chapter five in verse number one. The elders which are among you, I exhort 
who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Look at verse four. When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. You see what God promises elders, people that have given themselves to feeding the flock of God and ministering to people, pastors and their wives, husbands that have been faithful, trusting God, believing that the Lord Jesus Christ sees their labors for a people very often that are ungrateful for the oversight that comes with ministering the the word of God. God is observing every minister that is faithfully preparing his messages to feed the flock of God and has to preach to empty seats and pews. God's paying attention. God sees the work that every pastor is involved with who has to preach to people and love on people and sometimes help people pay their bills and then watch as the years go by and they turn and curse the pastor and the preacher. God pays attention to that. You may not have figured this out, but everybody that a pastor has the oversight of, they're not exactly the easiest people to shepherd. Yeah, there are some people, we're not, none of you included, there are some people that make pastors pray overtime. But God sees exactly what's going on. God sees the pastor and his wife that Tiffany and I preached for many, many years ago in Mexico. Can't even remember their names, Harley, but on, on any given Sunday, the pastor would head up one side of the mountain. The wife would head up the other side of the mountain because they had five or six different churches. Each of them had to go out into these very rural and mountainous regions to preach Christ. The Arab Christians that are ministering in dangerous situations, the ones in Vietnam or Laos or Burma that are doing what they can, preaching to people in rice fields, meeting secretly, knowing that they're communist people that are opposed to them. Those that are incarcerated, imprisoned because of their faith, God has a crown of glory for them. That preacher that's maimed, the one that's had acid thrown upon them. Preaching the gospel amongst people in places in Africa. Peter said to them, feed the flock of God. Take the oversight. Don't do it by constraint, but be willing to do it. Don't chase after money. But you have to understand in verse 4, the chief shepherd shall appear. He's coming, folks. That's what Peter is saying. And you're going to receive a crown of glory. Now that ought to make ministers and their spouses happy. It's not an easy life for every preacher. I've been very fortunate being out here that we get to do this full time. We get to travel and preach and enjoy what we're doing. But I know a whole lot of other people that haven't had as wonderful a bunch of folks as I have to be able to do what I do. They've got folks that won't tithe. They have people that don't give to missions. They have to fight and bicker about this and that. Those kinds of struggles. I've had a few of them, but never known many of them. But still, we've been able to preach the gospel and tell folks about God. The Lord said, if you're faithful, you'll receive a crown of glory. Now, you may wonder if, if, if all of this means that that, that God's holding out rewards for us uh, in order to get us 
to, to serve him. We serve God out of love. We serve God because we're debtors to him for what he has done. But he sees the obstacle course that we are having to deal with every day. And thankfully, at the finish line, he's there with all the ribbons and prizes and medals that we need. And it may sound like a kind of merit system, and I guess in, in, in many ways it is, but let me, let me give it to you this way. If, if someone's involved with sales, and they're somewhat complacent in sales, and the, the boss knows that they need these people to sell policies for insurance or sell cars or whatever, then very often what they'll say is, look, if, if you... For every sale that you make, we'll give you a percentage. And see, that that incentive then causes them to want to get out and do more. Because they realize if I make the sale, a percentage comes to me. If I make a lot of sales, a number of percentages come to me. And then sometimes at these business meetings, they get together and they say, well, what else can we do to help facilitate these people and, and spur them on to do a little bit more? They say, well, we can have an annual banquet. We can get them all dressed up and we'll bring in all the different regional directors from all across the nation. And when we bring them here for the ones who have sold the most and the ones who have been the most diligent, we'll bring them up in front of everybody and give them a gold pen. And I'm telling you, you'd be surprised how many people, when they come up in front of those people and they get that gold pin or some kind of certificate and they're celebrated in front of several hundreds of people, by the next, te- next day they're ready to get right back out there on the road and do it again to see if they can get up in front of everybody the next year. So there are incentives. And don't think that God isn't interested in those things. He told these churches in Asia Minor in Revelation chapter 2, listen to this in verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise of God. An incentive. Look at verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. Verse 17, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden man, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saveth he that receiveth it. Then look at verse number 26. He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter. Shall they be broken to shivers even as I receive them of my father and I will give him the morning start. Notice the incentive. Overcome the adversary. Overcome unbelief. Overcome the sin and the obstacles. Don't quit on the course. Keep moving forward. And God is not promising anything. He's incapable of giving at the end. Chapter 3, verse number 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Look there in verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon you my new name. Just one more. 
He says in verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his throne. Folks, I'm telling you, our God has promises that he's made to his people and he has gifts and rewards for you and for me. And if we keep putting one foot in front of the other, we resist the adversary, knowing that this is not a, a physical battle, but a spiritual battle. I don't see any reason why one day we won't receive a crown from God. And God, when he puts it in our hands, I guarantee you, you're going to have a bigger smile on your face than anybody that's ever received a gold pen in front of somebody at an annual banquet. Imagine coming through those Coming to those pearly gates. And you can remember Matthew 25, the story of the five wise and five foolish virgins. The wise virgins kept that oil in the lamp. Foolish virgins went to sleep, didn't bother to make sure they had what they needed. Lamps went out in the middle of the night. They're waiting for the cry for the marriage to begin. And the cry was made. The wise ones got up, made their way to the service. The foolish ones got up and said, can we borrow some of your oil? They said, oh, no, it's too late for that. You can't have none of this. They said, well, we're going to run to the market. Would you please hold the door? Sure enough, they went to the market. One of them might have stood there, probably put their foot in the door and waited. And the Lord was saying, would you please get away from there? And when they all showed up and they were banging on that door, the voice said, who is it? Said, we're the virgins. We've been invited. We have an invitation. And the voice from the other side said, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. What are we going to do with the life that God has provided for us? There was a missionary who spent many, many years in Africa, gave so many years to Africa, he lost his wife there. And in his later 60s, he had been there for many years without himself, I mean by himself, and his support had dried up, and he no longer could stay on the foreign field. He had to come home. He'd given his life to that continent. He boards a ship, heads to Liverpool. Going to take that ship coming back to Brooklyn. But on that vessel he was on also was Teddy Roosevelt. Mr. Roosevelt had been on an African safari. And of course, he's got an entourage following him around, reporters asking him questions. He's making dictation about this letter and about that. They finally come into that port. And sure enough, Mr. Roosevelt, he's got banners out there that says, Welcome home, Mr. President. Other banners that say, Welcome home, Teddy. And that missionary who'd given his life to that African field, during that trip, he had kind of murmured and complained and said, God is just not right. I give my life to preach the gospel, and this man has all this fanfare and activity all about him. He said he felt like the Lord was telling him in his heart, you shouldn't feel that way. He said, I know I shouldn't feel that way, but I feel that way anyhow. He was just complaining inside. Got there to that port, had that gangplank led down. Mr. Roosevelt came down there. There's an orchestra. Got to playing. I mean, people broke out in applause. Hundreds of people there making all kinds of noise for him. And he gets into whatever vehicle, however he got away from there, and they carried him off. All kinds of noise and excitement and instruments. And somehow in the middle of this trip, the preacher who was supposed to come pick up the missionary, there had been a miscommunication. 
he exited that ship with nobody there to meet him. He carried his stuff to the South Bronx to a missionary rest house all alone. A dollar a day. Went up into that room and as he tells the story, said he got down on his knees by that bed and began to weep and cry and said, God, I don't understand it. Here's a man been over there shooting defenseless animals and he comes home and there are thousands of people out here praising him and singing his praises. I lost my wife. I gave my life over there and I come back. Here I am coming home and there's nobody to greet me. And he said as he was weeping and crying, the presence of the Lord filled that room. And he said he heard a voice that spoke to his heart that said, son, you're not home yet. Think about that. You're not home yet. We, we may not get the praise and the pats on the back that we want now. And people may not always tell us thank you as often as we would like to receive it. But I'm telling you, somebody's keeping a record. And when we get on the other side, it's his well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. It's his words that are going to mean the most for you. That have loved and lost and cared and had hearts broken and walked with God. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's stand. He's going to come quickly. I, would, I wouldn't mind if he came right now, folks. I'm telling you, as, as much as I enjoy coming out here to preach to you each week, I'll even be happier to see him face to face. There's no doubt about it. And to, to be in his presence is going to be wonderful, you know. And when you think about that, it, it, it brings a smile to your face just knowing that all of the trials and pains of this life are incomparable to what we're going to experience one day when we see him. Yeah, trouble in the home won't matter when you get on the other side. Won't matter. You won't even really be thinking about that. Trouble on the job, you won't even care about that boss that you don't like right now. You get on the other side, everything will be fine. You'll get to heaven and you'll be able to praise and worship the Lord, see the fruit of your labors and have the crown of your rejoicing. Let's pray. Father, how wonderful it is to be able to encourage the saints of God with a message like this. Help each one of us to be fighters and finishers and keepers. Help each one of us to remain strong. We pray, God, as the adversary comes against us, we be reminded of the fact that greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. That you have caused us to triumph in all things. That many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord saveth us out of them all. And God, we know that your name is powerful. And whosoever called on that name shall be saved. So we worship you and praise you tonight, O oh God, in Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen.